The reading of the scriptures from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians chapter 4 and reading verses 13 to 18. May God give grace both in um, the reading and the hearing of the scriptures in faith. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Uh, Father, again, we come and we bow before you. We praise your name. Your name, which is a strong tower. The name into which the righteous run and are safe and set on high. We worship you, O Father, our Creator, the Maker of all things in the heavens and the earth and the sea. And we thank you for delivering us from the wicked domain of darkness and bringing us into this kingdom of your beloved Son, a kingdom of light and redemption. We worship the Son, our great Redeemer and King, uh, the Prince of Peace. We worship the great Spirit sent and proceeding from the Father and the Son to us uh, to give us the new birth to raise us up from our, our uh, death and sin, that we might have life, uh, redeemed uh, minds and eyes to behold the loveliness of Christ, the beauties of His perfections and glory, uh, redeemed eyes and ears that will hear His voice, redeemed wills that seek to follow Him who is our Savior and Redeemer and who has set us the way in which to run the race, uh, the race that ends in glory and in heaven, ascending to the top of Mount Zion. there, gathered with the myriad of angels in festal gathering and with those who have gone before and with Christ Himself. But here and now, we thank you for our daily bread, for giving us all things necessary for life and for godliness. We have returned a measure of what you have provided uh, in contribution that you would use for the advancement of the kingdom and for the welfare of those in need. Uh, 
Uh, we do pray for those in need. We pray for the sick among us. We pray for your blessings upon all that is being done to treat the illness, uh, the issues of the body. Uh, we pray that they might be in good health as we trust they are well in soul. We pray for those traveling, Think particularly of uh, Phil and Barbara. Uh, give them great uh, joy and blessings in their travels, refreshment and safety in their journey home. Uh, we beseech you, O oh Father, to bless our homes, our children, our grandchildren, uh, that we might, like uh, the Apostle John, have the great uh, eureka moment of seeing our children and grandchildren walking in the truth, uh, following in the pattern that the Lord has given us. May we be um, examples to them that they would see in us genuine love for Christ, genuine desire to walk according to His commandments, and then may they hear the words from us so that both in word and deed we point them to the Savior, and then we commend them to the Spirit of God to save them. Protect us and our children from every danger in this fallen world, uh, the dangers that abound that affect the body, disease and lawlessness, but more so the dangers to the spirit, uh, the dangers of deception and opposition, which all emanate from the one great enemy who uh, opposed all things that the Lord has done, even uh, the roaring light and Satan. But we trust that uh, he who is in us is greater than him, so we do not fear because our safety is secure. Again, we run into the name of the Lord and there find safety. Uh, bless us as a congregation. We are not individual Christians set aside to just live a life, but uh, we are called into fellowship and to a congregational assembly. We bear witness as a congregation to our community. Uh, we are to be salt and light. We are to love one another uh, truly so that those who see from the outside would say that we belong to the Lord. And so give us grace to do that and to bear good witness to the kingdom of heaven and Christ. Beyond uh, these spoken prayers, we all come with uh, heavy hearts, particularly over some matter of life. Uh, you know every need, every unspoken request. Minister to them all as you see best in your great wisdom uh, and act and intervene on our behalf for our welfare, but more so to see the glory of God uh, accomplishing your purposes for us. And now, Father, as your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, bless your word to us. Bless Ronnie as he holds forth from this great uh, text from the Apostle Paul about the life yet to come. May the Spirit take this word and may it go forth in power to encourage and equip us for love and good works. We pray these things for the glory of the eternal word himself, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Well, the perfection of the church is Christ's goal and Christ's reward. To have a pure bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing is the purpose of Christ to bring us to Himself in glory, ultimately perfected in both body and soul. 
just as he himself has been glorified in both body and soul, that we might be a whole person, body, soul, perfected forever. So we who trust in Christ count on the fact that we also will be made perfect in body and soul. But how, by what series of events, and when, is what I want to look at this morning as the Apostle Paul writes to the young church in Thessalonica. The Apostle clearly wanted to emphasize the return of Christ. As you know from your own reading of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and it carries on into 2 Thessalonians as well, every major section of the book ends with a reference to the return of Christ. Letting us know that we as Christians who have a Lord who has been dead and who has been raised from the dead and who has ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of the, of the Father in heaven, that we should live now expecting and being lived now in light of His soon return. That how we expect the end to be as God has desired it means everything to us now as we live. And so there had been a troubling idea that had been introduced into the young Thessalonican church that those who had died since the church had been founded and they had grown in their faith and learned so much, but those who had died might not participate in the events of that great day of the return of the Lord. Somehow they might be second-class citizens. Or because they've died bodily, that they might not expect all of the great glory of that day to see with their own eyes the Lord return. I um, want to, uh, I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to think about something, and maybe you want to write the passage down and, and look at it later this afternoon. In reference to the coming of the Lord, Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, he uses five synonymous phrases in, in one chapter to describe one day. In fact, the, the beginning of that, of that chapter begins talking about the last days, plural. We're in the last days, are we not? But Peter moves on and he says there's a day. A day between the life that now is and the life that is to come. And he uses these five synonymous phrases to describe that day. Listen to them. He says it's the day of His coming, the day of Christ's coming, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day of God, and the day of eternity. Those are wonderful phrases. And those describe not multiple, but a singular day. One great event in which the Lord returns, and that day of Christ's coming, He ends the chapter by saying, is also the day of eternity. We're now living in this age. We're expecting the age to come. And the door between this age and the age to come is the return of Christ. Well, Paul had taught the Thessalonians about this, and they understood it, but they were concerned. False doctrine had entered the church, and it had taken hold. And so Paul writes in answer to some of the concerns that they had. He takes the occasion to correct their doctrine and to comfort their minds about those who had died before they saw the return of the Lord. We need the same clarity today maybe more than they needed it then. We need doctrinal clarity today. We need to understand those events as the Bible reveals them. Not as the best-selling books reveal them, but as God and Scripture has revealed them. And so that's what I want to do this morning, Lord willing. 
So what happens to believers at the second coming of Christ? And also attendant to that thought is what will happen to all others? Well, Paul teaches us that first of all, they can expect, being believers, can expect a change of condition. Notice again verses 13 and 14. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. But he says, but we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Each of the verses from 13 to 17 presents a part of a contrast or a comparison between two conditions of the believer's bodies, kind of a now condition and an after death. It is, it is contrasted in this way, and it's both related to the body, okay? It's important that you understand that. Two conditions of the bodies. One is called asleep, <laughs> one is called awake. It's very simple if you think about it, but they're but for some reason, people keep getting confused about it. He talks about these two conditions of our bodies, calling them awake or asleep, and he uses in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 10, he uses both of them together, speaking of Christ who died for us, that whether we, believers, are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. In reference to His return, there will be those awake. We're awake this morning in more ways than one, but we're talking about the body. The body is alive. And all of you, let me see, yes, most of you look alive this morning. <laughs> Just kidding. You all look wonderfully alive, bright, shining faces. We're alive in the condition that Paul is talking about. But there are those we know, our loved ones, our friends, many uh, those who have passed, that they're asleep. And isn't that a wonderful way to look at death from the Christian perspective? When we think of someone asleep, we expect those to rise very soon. When you go to sleep at night, you lay your head on your pillow, you thank God for the day, ask Him for a good night's rest, you expect that before long you'll be waking up to a new day. When those who die in Christ go to sleep, as Paul describes it, we expect that very soon they, in a new day, will arise. And so he calls it sleep. Awake and asleep, conditioned of the body, one or the other when the Lord returns. In verse 14 we see of chapter 4 that the primary idea Paul is working toward is to show that just as Jesus died and was gloriously raised, that He was dead, but He was raised again to live forevermore, that by the majesty and the power and the, and the glory of that resurrection, that singular resurrection, we can all expect the same. That that power wasn't just raising Jesus Christ from the dead, but that power continues to raise us from the dead, both spiritually, we're not going to talk about that too much, but that's assumed here, but Paul is focusing on what happens to the body at that last day, gloriously raised from the dead. All the dead will rise, Old Testament and New Testament. Remember, the, contract is on, the contrast is on the bodies of the believing dead and not their souls. Yes, we understand that those who have died in the Lord, their souls are perfected and they are with the Lord. Remember, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? That's where they are and their souls are perfected. Our souls are not perfected. Our souls are being sanctified by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. But our souls are not perfected. But the souls of those who have gone to heaven are perfected. But they are souls perfected while the body lays in the grave awaiting an awakening. And this we expect, and that's what Paul's talking about. 
Notice in verse number uh, 14 where it says that those who, uh, that we who are, I'm sorry, I missed the verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, the, the primary idea, certainly we think of, as I just described, those who are with Christ now, perfected in, in heaven, will come with Him. In other words, they'll attend that glorious reign that day. That's certainly true. But believe it or not, that's not exactly what Paul is aiming at. That's true, and that's in, in here. But Paul is speaking of something a little bit different. Bring with Him, in verse 14, is the idea of bringing them to life with Him of resurrecting the body, of awakening those who have been in the grave. Because He was awakened, and that day, great day will mean a change for them. The bodies in the grave will undergo a great change. Let me show you what I mean a little bit about it here. Philippians chapter 3 says in verses 20 and 21, Philippians 3 beginning in verse 20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly wait, do we not? And notice verse 21. Who, when He returns, will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. When He comes, the condition of the body will be drastically and forever changed. And particularly, Paul begins in Thessalonians with reference to those Christians who are dead. He's saying that God will bring with Him, when Christ returns, those who are, are, have already died in Christ. But the idea is not just bring the soul with them, but the idea is to recombine, that may not be the best word to say it, but reconstitute both body and the glorified soul Glorified body now, glorified soul in the whole man. The whole man perfected. Just like Christ, the whole man is perfected. And so that's the idea of bringing them to life. Not there, He's changing the condition of the body once and for all. From death to life. From death to resurrection, if you will. And not only a change of bodily condition is what Paul is emphasizing here, but also an order of those being raised. Here, he begins to talk about something that had previously been a mystery, something that had not been revealed before the Lord revealed it to Paul and the other apostles. And this is that there's an order of being raised into the likeness of Christ's glorious resurrection. There's kind of a before and an after. There's a, there's a first and a following okay, of the bodies of believers to be resurrected to new life. And he says in verse 15 that this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Precede them how? Precede them in bodily resurrection. Because the Thessalonians had, had heard that for some reason or somehow that these who have died in the Lord would not participate in that great day, that they may not see it with their eyes. I'm not sure what they were taught, but Paul was answering that and he was saying, listen, I can give you this word from the Lord that those who are dead will not proceed in bodily resurrection, those who are alive when the Lord returns. They're going to be just as much a part, if not more so, in the sense of their priority 
in the sense of their resurrecting first, in the sense of their glory, that they had been laid to rest in Christ, and their spirits are with Christ, and now they get the body that is resurrected to join their immortal soul. He says the dead in Christ will will precede the alive in Christ. Well, that's the order of events. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get some more details about this mystery that Paul calls it here of the sequence of events. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Remember, sleep is die. The body dies. Not all going to die but when the Lord comes back. But we shall all be changed. We'll talk about that in a moment. He says in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now these are the same exact order of events that he talks about in 1 Thessalonians. Same order of events. Notice what he says. He says, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, Paul counts himself among the we there, the living, when Christ returns, right? The we that will be changed is those living Christians living when Christ returns. But there's an order, isn't it? The dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this perishable or corruptible must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That great day when death is swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Christ, and all those who are His are raised from the dead. A change. But notice there's... A slight nuance to the change, isn't there? There's an order to the change. The dead first to raise, then we who are alive and remain will be raised after them. And so Paul is emphasizing this in order that we can understand it clearly. When he returns, there's going to be a great day of celebration, a great day of resurrection, and the dead will rise first, and then we who are alive, if it happens this morning, and I pray to God that it will, then we who are alive will join those who are suddenly at once raised from the dead and will meet the Lord in the air. That's what he's talking about. But we will not suffer the bonds of death in our physical body. I want you to um, think about something that Paul's saying, and let's look back in First Thessalonians chapter 4 again. <clears throat> where he says in verse, let's see, number 16, that when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, and that's a commanding shout, the wording there means a shout of command. And I don't know what all he's going to say, but whatever the Lord shouts, brothers and sisters, it's going to happen. Exactly whatever he commands, it will happen. And we know a part of that shout, a part of that command, is for the dead to rise. That's a part of that shout of command. Like the military officer, the, the officer, when the general says, you're going to do this, we don't sit around and go, ah, maybe I want to, maybe I don't. <laughs> I've never been in the military. I thank you if you have, and I know many of you have. Well, that will end a military career faster than anything is to uh, show that type of insubordination. I mean, when he speaks, it is done. 
when the master of all masters speaks, when the general of all generals, the Lord of all lords speaks, it happens and it happens immediately. So he cries with a commanding cry when he descends from heaven. It also says in, in verse 16, he, there's the voice of the archangel announcing the great day that will attend that. And he also says that the trumpet of God will blast to announce and summons all of the people of God to that great day, just like the trumpet in the Old Testament summons all the people of Israel to the great convocations. But we won't all sleep, Paul said. We're not all going to pass through death before that event because if we're alive, something wonderful happens. And here's one of those little things I want you to really get this morning. And that little something that Paul is teaching us and I want you to get is that there will be those that do not pass through death but will instantaneously be changed from one condition, mortal, to a second condition, immortal. Those who have died already ex experienced a change of condition, didn't they? The body's dead and the spirit is glorified and with the Lord right now. But something unique and special happens to those who are alive when the Lord returns, and that is that they will not see death, but they will instantaneously be changed from a living mortal condition to a living immortal condition and never see the pains of death. So either way, Paul is saying what a unique privilege that all Christians should expect. Don't worry for the dead who have passed on that they'll miss anything. The Lord gives them privilege and honor and respectability for their faith and the life lived by raising them first. But then you who are alive in Christ, no worry for you either. Here's your special privilege or your joy to add to the joy of that great day. You'll not pass through death. Your body and your soul will not experience the separation that those who have gone on before us will experience. There will be an instantaneous change, immediately glorified. Or they're not immediately glorified. The spirits are. They await the body. Remember, the whole man is body and soul forever joined together. That's exciting, isn't it? Paul wanted to encourage the church with that, and he did. Those who are alive when Christ returns, experience no separation of body and soul. It's the express line to heaven, if we might use the trite phrase. Now, let's get a few more details in, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 17, regarding this day. In verse 17, Paul uses a particular Greek word um, in regard to those alive when Christ comes, and it is the word harpazo. It's a Greek word um, from which the Latin uh, word uh, rapturo uh, came to us, and from the Latin rapturo, we use the English rapture, right? Have any of you heard of the rapture? Okay, a few. <laughs> well, it's a biblical word. It, at least the concept is certainly there. Because harpanzo in Greek means to have a, a sudden and powerful change of either location or location and condition. And so in the New American Standard, it, it, it says caught up. So, so then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's the word with the root word harpazo. Caught up is, is good. It's the idea of being caught maybe from earth to heaven. That's the, that's the idea the translators brought here. But I want you to think of it in terms of what I think the context demands. And it's more so not not just a change of location, but a change of condition, right? 
a change of experience to go from a living mortal to instantaneously go to a living immortal. So you're living now in a mortal condition, and boy, don't we know it, right? I mean, death has got its hold on us. There's sickness, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and ultimately we're all going to die if the Lord doesn't return first. And yet, at the same time, we expect the glorious resurrection of that day to, if we happen to be alive, and I pray that we are, then instantly we pass from a living mortal condition to a living immortal condition, and death is erased once and for all, and we who are alive when He comes won't even have to experience the separation of body and soul. And it happens fast, doesn't it? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, in, in the blink of an eye, right? In the twinkling of an eye, whatever the twinkling of an eye is, we can assume that's pretty fast. That we're going to be changed immediately, made immortal. My kids, you know, they're all grown now, but uh, they all watch these movies. Mar- I, now, I'm going to get it wrong, so you can go ahead and giggle at me here. There's Marvel, and there's there's uh, uh, DC Comics, and there's there's probably 50 of them, right? And I looked at comic books when I was a kid, so... But, but I've forgotten. That's too long ago now. Um, but so all these superhero movies are coming out, one after the other, one after the other. And Dad, you know, you'd like this one. You ought to see this one. And I watched one or two, and now I'm like, ah, thanks. Go ahead. Enjoy. Um, because, you know, it, but it, it's, just one, it's just one person after another person that, that is kind of in between a mortal and an immortal, right? Or some are completely immortal. Well, listen, folks, that's just not comic books. We have the true promise in the gospel and in the word of God that we ourselves will be immortal. Paul says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. This mortality has to be set aside and the change has to happen, that great change, the the change of condition of living from a mortal to an immortal. And everyone who trusts in Christ will be suddenly made immortal at the return of Christ. You want a definition for the rapture? Here it is. The rapture is a sudden powerful change from an earthly mortal existence to a heavenly or immortal existence after the pattern and experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a definition of the rapture is. That's the biblical definition of the rapture. It's a sudden powerful change from an earthly mortal existence or condition to a, an immediate, immortal, permanent, unchangeable condition after the pattern ex- and experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, who Himself is immortal, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this way, if you think about it, the meaning and intent of the passage begins to unfold for us and become clear rather than cloudy. The Lord will personally descend from heaven with a shout of command for the dead to rise, with the voice of the archangel announcing it, with the loud blast of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be first to rise. Then we who are alive and remain will suddenly, instantaneously change, and we will be gathered with them in the air to meet the Lord, and thus we will be forever with the Lord, Paul says. Death is about separation, right? When when those we love die, we're separated from them, and we feel that, we mourn for that. Believe me, somehow those souls perfected in heaven long for the day when their bodies will be again raised from the dead and made immortal like their souls are now perfected. 
Separation is not the intent, but made whole again is the intent. And on that great day, that will happen. We'll be made whole. We'll be made immortal forever and ever. Remember in John 14, 3, where the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you. But that wasn't the end of it. what he said, was it? What did he say that follows that? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's very comforting to know that the Lord will return having prepared a place for us in heaven and we'll be with Him, gathered with Him forever and ever. There's so much comfort in those words. For everyone who knows Christ, there's comfort in those words. For everyone who has trusted the Lord of lords who is raised from the dead and reigns on high, yielded their life to Him submissively, Trusting in the power of the Word and through the Holy Spirit, we expect that day to come and be glorious beyond belief. Words could not describe the glory of that day. We can only imagine, as the Christian song, popular song says. But if you're not a Christian, you're spoken of in verse 13. Because Paul starts out by saying, we don't want you, brothers and sisters, who do trust in Christ and know His resurrection power, we don't want you to... to Grieve, as he says in the last part of the verse, as, as do the rest who have no hope. If you don't know Christ this morning, you're among the rest and you don't have that hope. Death for you is an end that you cannot look beyond. That you cannot recognize what happens beyond that. Maybe it's just an end and that's the way you view it. But death is not the end of our existence. Death is only a transition in our existence. And you need to know what happens beyond the grave. As Phil often says, you need to know the one shepherd who shepherds beyond the grave, who can take your hand and take you beyond this life into the next existence, however that may be, whether he comes again or whether you pass from this life before he comes again. We'll all face him, will we not, in the judgment? So I ask you to go to the Savior now. If you don't know him, go to him. Confess your unrighteousness before him. Tell him that you're unrighteous, you're unholy. As Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm undone. I don't bring my perfection before God. I don't bring my talent. I don't bring my goodness, my righteousness. When the Spirit reveals who we really are in our first father, Adam, we say, woe is me, I am undone before God. I need someone. I need help. I can't do anything before God that is good and holy in His sight or perfect whatsoever. I need a mediator to mediate the grace of God for me, that mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and the only. Go to Him. He'll receive you. And in that great day, you'll expect like all of us who know Him will expect that your body and your soul will be shepherded beyond death and be received into glory. He'll forgive and He'll return personally for you. Well, may I say just a word about the unbelieving because Paul's, you might have asked the question, well, why is Paul not, why didn't he include the unbelieving, both living and dead, when the Lord returns in this passage? Well, he's writing to believers, and he's writing to comfort them about what they had asked. What about our brothers and sisters who passed on? But the unbelieving, both living and dead, have had some things happen to them when the Lord returns. I want you to see a contrast in chapter 5 and verses 3 to 4. He says, he, he uses a, a them and a you. 
um, verse 3, and he's continuing to on the theme about the return of the Lord in a, just a different aspect. But he says, while they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly like the birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Notice the they. But, but verse 4 says, but you, brethren, so he defines it clearly, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. They and you. The contrast and the contrast is that something very different will happen, similar and yet different with those who are unbelieving, uh, continue in their rebellion against God, um, in whether they have done that and died or whether they are in that condition when the Lord returns. The Bible teaches concerning those who have refused to believe in Christ the Savior that they too will be resurrected at the return of the Lord. I don't know why this is confusing to the church today. I really don't. I'm not going to go into it now. Maybe we should have some Sunday school classes on it. Maybe not. I, maybe you might well, want to throw a hymnal at me and hit me in the head. But, but, uh, but I don't know why there's confusion about this, but I seem to see confusion. I'm not speaking of you, brothers and sisters, but the church at large. When the Lord returns, those who are in rebellion, either of every past generation or those who are living in rebellion when He turns, the Bible teaches that they're going to also come forth from their graves in resurrection. That they will also become immortal in a sense by the resurrection that happens at the return of Christ. Let me show you in, in the Gospel of John. We'll take just a moment here. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, I think it's about as clear here, and it's taught throughout the New Testament. In fact, it's even taught in the Old Testament. But the New Testament obviously shines the brightest light upon the events of these things, of that great day. But here in John's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. An hour coming, reference to the resurrection at the last day, and now is, a reference to the work of the new birth by the Holy Spirit within those who have heard and believed the gospel. An hour is coming, an hour now is, when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, and something happens. They change. Now he goes on, verse 26, For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, said Jesus, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice. He didn't say all believers there. He said all, without distinction. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, I'm not intending to write a book, nor probably can I. And I'm not intending to cause a controversy in the church. I suppose in my humanity, I certainly am capable of that, though, right, Jay? I don't want to. I pray not to. But I don't see how any Christian reading these words right here can misunderstand what the Lord was teaching. He said, there's a day now, 
And there's a day coming in which there are going to be those who hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live because He says, live. And when He says, live, you live. Right now, it's the new birth. When He says, live, we live. We come out of death to life. The old man is exchanged for the new man. We're changed. We're alive in Christ now, though not perfected. When He comes, the then, the great day, the Lord cries with command for all the dead to be raised, and all the dead are raised. When He says, raise up, they raise, believers and unbelievers alike. Well, that's a major change for the unbelieving dead, isn't it? To come back to life, just like it is for the believing dead. They come back to life. But Jesus is teaching us here that it's a singular event, a singular cry of the Lord of command for all the dead to come forth. The difference is the destination. The difference is the outcome. Those who have done righteousness unto a resurrection of life, those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation, they're all raised. But the difference is the destiny of those that are raised. Those in Christ gathers at His right hand. Come, stand at my right hand, those of you who have been chosen by my Father, that you may inherit glory. To the rest, He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. One resurrection, when all the dead will be raised. When Jesus comes back, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, you and me, if we have passed on to death, through death, that our bodies are laid, will all come forth from the graves. All the believing, all the unbelieving who have passed on will come forth to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. Suddenly changed from mortal to immortal, but the difference is that the lost will be punished forever. They'll be separated from the saints. They'll be judged and they'll be condemned as haters of God and they'll receive their due, their due reward, the reward that we all, outside of the mercy of God, did rightly deserve. Well, I hope I made that clear and I hope I wasn't controversial. If I was, I'm sorry. I want to be as clear as the Word of God is clear and I don't want to muddy the waters. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus will soon return to judge all mankind there's a day. Remember I told you at the beginning, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3? And I want you to read that. Would you take some time this week to read that? Chapter 3 of 2 Peter. He uses those five synonymous phrases for that great day. And in every one of them, we see a different aspect, a different light shined upon the, the different things that will be wrapped up and consummated in that great day. Not different days. Not different events. One great and glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ to raise all the dead and to quicken all those who are alive when He comes and to cast us forth into our eternal destinies. That is a great, great day coming. A couple of quick applications and we'll be done. First of all, be ready for the Lord's return. Be ready. Live. That's, that's the purpose that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. He wanted to clear up some false doctrine, but he wanted them to be ready. Every chapter he ended it with a be ready, you know. Focus on the Lord's return. Focus on the Lord's return. It's tough today. There's opposition today. There's temptation today. There's failures today. Focus on the return of the Lord. It will be soon. Second application, 
rejoice in the Lord's return. I'm thrilled to preach this message. I never get tired of preaching this message. I preached this message before. Lord willing, I want to preach it again. Rejoice in the Lord's return. Third application, take comfort in the Lord's return. Now that we feel the separation of death, we feel the pains of death holding us, pulling us, we see the, 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 you know, we see in the distance those events happening, we cringe at them, but we are comforted in the fact that we know that both right now while we're living and when we pass through those doors of death, if we do before the Lord comes, the Lord is with us. And we know that all who have ever trusted in the Lord will be joined together when He returns once and for all. We will all be made immortal. Sin and death will have been washed away and vanished forever. And if you think the church can rejoice and sing hymns and pray like crazy now, just imagine what it's going to be when we celebrate on that day. It's a fearful day. The day of the Lord is a fearful and an awesome day. And yet at the same time, our only comfort in life and in death, what does the Heidelberg Catechism say? Is that we belong to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to lay out some of those comforts for us. I pray that you're comforted in the Savior this morning. I pray that you trust Him more and more every day and live today like you expect the Lord to come and pray that the Lord would come and know that the Lord will come very soon. And what a day that will be.